Father, our God of heaven and earth who is all-powerful and can dispatch the armies of heaven in a blink of an eye, may we trust fully in you today. May we not be tempted to fear the chariots of this world, knowing that you alone possess the chariots of fire. May we not attempt to take matters into our own carnal hands, knowing that your plan is always perfect. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, first of all, I'd like to enter the court of God with thankfulness. Just as we read Joab showing his thankfulness to his king, because we know that we are always to enter the court of God with this thankfulness. Second Samuel 14, 22, And Joab fell to the ground on his face and bowed himself and thanked the king. And Joab said, Today thy servant knoweth that I have found grace in thy sight, my lord, O king, in that the king hath fulfilled the request of his servant. So here we see that this thankfulness flows from the grace of of God that has been poured out upon a man named Joab. And I'm here to thank God myself for the grace that has been poured upon this life. And all I can say is, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. It's when we become unthankful that we find the Lord choosing not to accomplish extraordinary things on our behalf. Unless we repent, and we turn back to Christ. Now, resolution and redemption that flows from this repentance as we turn back to Christ is always possible through Christ and the faith that he has gifted to us. We know this to be true as our faith truly does believe, repent, and work for his glory. Second Samuel 14.33, So Joab came to the king and told him, and when he had called for Absalom, he came to the king and bowed himself on the face to the ground before the king. And the king kissed Absalom. Here we see a great love between a king and his subject within this kingdom a relationship that is built upon respect and love. Well, today and this morning, I got up rather early, about 2 o'clock this morning, and rather motivated uh, concerning uh, the light of things and a recent exchange that I had on Twitter with the CEO of Gab concerning Christian nationalism. So we may talk a little bit more about that during this episode. Well, matter of fact, we are. But I didn't want none of these things. I told you I'm going to move on. I'm not going to just be engulfed by this false teaching of Christian nationalism. I'm going to continue on with reading our scheduled reading. And today we started the book of Judges. And I got to verse 19 and I immediately stopped in my tracks. Because Judges 1.19 says, And the Lord was with Judah, and he drave out the inhabitants of the mountain, but could not drive out the inhabitants of the valley because they had chariots of iron. Now, you do a quick search 
and you're going to see that the internet blows up with an accusation of contradiction. Contradiction! They cry out. Because we have previously read in Joshua chapter 17 and verse 18, But the mountain shall be thine, for it is a wood, and thou shalt cut it down, and the outgoings of it shall be thine, for thou shalt drive out the Canaanites, though they have iron chariots, and though they be strong. So what is the difference between Joshua 17, 18 and Joshua 1, 19? And I will tell you this. I will give you the quick and the short answer, and that is faithfulness. It is faithfulness. This question, which I posted as an article in separate, you can read on gospel.com or this is my Substack page, andrewhorville.substack.com, entitled, Why Can't the Lord Drive Out the Inhabitants of the Valley uh, Because of These Chariots of Iron? So here we see, we know that it's because of faithfulness. We know that the issue is not with the Lord, but with the children of Israel. This is very clear. We see that the children of Benjamin, in verse 21, Judges chapter 1, did not drive out the Jebusites that inhabited Jerusalem. The children of Benjamin did not drive out the Jebusites that inhabited Jerusalem, but the Jebusites dwell with the children of Benjamin in Jerusalem unto this day. Then we go on to verse 23 and 26, and we see that the house of Joseph let a man go. Now, this man had showed them the entrance to the city that they were to destroy, but then they let him go. And that's verse 23 through 26. We go on to verse 27. We see that Manasseh failed to drive out the inhabitants that they were commanded to in verse 27. In verse 28, we see that Israel kept the Canaanites for tax revenue. In verse 29 through 33, Ephraim did not drive out the Canaanites, nor did Zebulon, nor did Asher, nor did Naphtali. And then you go on to verse 34 and 35, we see that Dan ran from their enemies. And then Joseph came along and turned the same enemies into tax revenue as well. So was the problem with the Lord or was the problem with the children of Israel? As we can clearly see, the problem is not with our faithful Lord. The problem is with the unfaithful children of Israel. It seems that they wanted to create their own Jesus that would generate them some tax revenue, some cash, some mammon. No wonder the Republicans have created their own Jesus. And I say Republicans because I saw that Republican Jesus was trending on Twitter. And it's this Republican Jesus that has literally been sold to us as the GOP Jesus, the Q Jesus, the MAGA Jesus, and now the Christian nationalist Jesus. And no, my friends, I do not trust in the Democrat Jesus either that kills unborn children and defies the sanctity of marriage between one man and one woman. I 
trust in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. And it's because I preach Jesus to Christ alone that the left and right hate me. The Lord has no problem with these chariots of men. Did he have any problems with the chariots of Pharaoh? It was the children of Israel who had the problem with these chariots when they forgot the Lord and turned to idolatry instead. Just like the Christian nationalists turned to political idolatry today. Exodus 14, 7 through 8, and he took 600 chosen chariots and all the chariots of Egypt and captains over every one of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And he pursued after the children of Israel, and the children of Israel went out with in high hand. The Lord says not to be afraid of the chariots of men. Deuteronomy 21, when thou goest out to battle against thy enemies and see his horses and chariots and the people more than thou, be not afraid of them. For the Lord thy God is with thee, which brought thee out of the land of Egypt. How many times does God have to deliver us before we will fully trust in him? The Lord delivered enemy the enemy chariots to Joshua in Joshua 11.6. And the Lord said unto Joshua, Be not afraid because of them. For tomorrow about this time will I deliver them up all slain before Israel. Thou shalt hew their horses and burn their chariots with fire. God says that he will deliver them up. And it's here that we see that Joshua was found faithful and that he fully trusted the Lord. We read later in Judges where the children of Israel were found crying unto the Lord because this lack of faithfulness and this lack of trust as they were facing 900 chariots of iron that plagued them. Judges 4.3, and the children of Israel cried unto the Lord, for he had 900 chariots of iron. In 20 years, he mightily oppressed the children of Israel. 20 years before they repented. But thankfully, they repented. Thankfully, God gave them the space to repent. And it's then that the Lord intervened Concerning the 900 chariots of iron, Judges 4.15, And the Lord discomfited Sisera and all his chariots and all his hosts with the edge of the sword before Barak, so that Sisera lighted down off his chariot and fled away on his feet. Why did the Lord give them a space of 20 years? Because he loved them. And he wanted them to show forth back love to him of their own free will. And this is the repentance. And this is where repentance is found in the free will of men to love God enough to say enough is enough. We will trust in you. We will trust in the chariots of fire, which is the title of today's episode number 261. The chariots of fire, not the chariots of men. We will not fear the chariots of men. Then the Lord discomfited Sisera and all his chariots. So why couldn't the Lord drive out the inhabitants of the valley? In Judges chapter 1. It's because of the children of Israel. Not because of God. 
It was because of the children of Israel fearing men more than God. They felt that they had the matters under control while they were cashing in on their enemies. Meanwhile, the enemy grew. The enemy continued to grow even stronger, and they were able to amass an army of iron chariots. These chariots caught the children of Israel by surprise, and they brought great fear upon the people of God. This fear is repeated by Israel repeatedly throughout the Old Testament and mankind in general. 1 Samuel 13, 5-6, And the Philistines gathered themselves together to fight with Israel 30,000 chariots and 6,000 horsemen and people as the sand which is on the sea shore in multitude. And they came up and pitched in Michmash eastward from beth When the men of Israel saw that they were in a strait, for the people were distressed, then the people did hide themselves in caves and in thickets and in rocks and in high places and in pits. They feared these chariots, these horsemen, instead of fearing Almighty God and his chariots of fire. So the problem in contradiction is never with God. It's always with men due to the fact that men are always attempting to add or take away from what God has commanded us to do. It's a dangerous thing. It is always a dangerous thing to add or take away from the word of God. To include the book of Revelation, and that is why we read in Revelation twenty-two eighteen: For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book, if any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And this danger is continuing to unfold today with no regard to this warning concerning the eschatology of Revelation or the rest of the Word of God, for that matter. Instead, men want to quote their books of idolatry, their their political playbooks, and their theological books, yet they will not quote the Word of God. By the way, it's clear that the book of Revelation is not to be dismissed for believers today. It's clear. Revelation 22.10, And he saith unto me, Seal not the sayings of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. And it's our faith and our faithfulness that is to endure with the knowledge of revelation unto the Lord, who is the first and the last, comes to judge the quick and the dead with his chariots of fire. Revelation 22:11 He that is unjust let him be unjust still and he which is filthy let him be filthy still and he that is righteous let him be righteous still and he that is holy let him be holy still It's our choice to be unjust filthy or to be righteous and holy This is this is the choice my friends And this is why I am not a Christian nationalist who is carnal, earthly. I am a kingdom nationalist, which is part of a holy and righteous movement where the faithful Christian will find his reward. Revelation 22, 12 and 13. And behold, I come quickly and my reward is with me to give every man according as his work shall be. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. This is why it is all Jesus Christ for me and the sayings of his book. 
These sayings of this book are intended to be kept to the end of the world. We are intended to be faithful to that which is written. No wonder those who do not end up doing so divert to other forms of idolatrous worship, to their theological books, etc. And it's this idolatrous worship that even demands that Christians bow before their political and religious movements, but I refuse to do so. Revelations 22, 8, And I, John, saw these things and heard them, and when I heard and seen, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel which showed me these things. Verse 9, Then saith he unto me, Seest thou, do it not, for I am thy fellow servant, and of thy brethren the prophets, and of them which keep the sayings of this book. Worship God. Ought we not to preach the same? Why are we attempting to get other Christians to bow down to our political ideologies and our theological treaties that oppose the Word of God? Uh, Speaking of this opposition, I just had an exchange on Twitter where it looks like the CEO Gab, Andrew Torba, who subscribes to a form of pre-terrorism or preterism, that has a post-millennialist interpretation. It believes that Christ has already came with Satan currently bound, putting us currently in the millennial reign of the Lord, where he is ruling with a rod of iron. And this is why he is sowing and reaping the Christian nationalism that he is. But he's missing the blessing of keeping the prophecy of the book of Revelation as he disregards it and says that it's already completed with this with this ideology and that it, that it already has come and gone based on words such as quickly and shortly be done which fuels this ideology and these terms cannot be justification in themselves we know this because we know that God is timeless revelation 22:7 behold i come quickly blessed is he that keepeth the sayings of the prophecy of this book. We are clearly to keep the, the sayings of the prophecy of this book to the end. This book is talking about end times, the end things. Verse 6, And he said unto me, These sayings are faithful and true, and the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel to show it unto his servants, the things which much must shortly be done. There is an article excerpt by the ChristianCourier.com that reads, A few misguided souls subscribe to the dogma of radical preterism. Uh, This is the notion that all Bible prophecy, including the second coming of Christ, the resurrection of the dead, and the end of the world, was fulfilled by the time Jerusalem was destroyed in AD 70. Accordingly, these folks assign a rigid meaning to shortly. They insist that shortly must be taken quite literally, Thus, the prophetic events would be completed within a very few years. Yet, they don't want to take any of the other bo- the rest of the book, <laughs> literally. Uh, the article continue- the excerpt continues, Elsewhere, we have shown the fallacy of this system of interpretation. And they conclude this excerpt, A few scholars have subscribed to a moderate preterist view of the book of Revelation. These writers shouldn't be confused with the radicals described above, the moderates argue that the apocalypse was written prior to AD 70 and that the bulk of the book has to do with the Jewish Roman persecution against the church. Listen, 
This world either chooses the name of the beast or the name of Christ. I've chosen the name of Christ and his light now. And this is the light which spiritually lights this world. Even now with the full physical manifestation of this light that is to come at the second coming of Christ our Lord. Revelation 22, 4-5 And they shall see his face and his name shall be in their foreheads and there shall be no night there. And they need no candle, neither light of the sun, for the Lord God giveth them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. And until this kingdom comes to this earth, this holy nation, in its full manifestation upon this earth, I told Torba, as he was complaining about Jewish nationalism, to not complain about antichrist nationalism if you are preaching antichrist nationalism yourself with the idolatry concerning America. He then quickly deleted this tweet after this rebuke. I saw where he posted on Gab. He says Josh Shapiro, I guess this is a Jewish candidate for governorship of Pennsylvania, He says that Josh Shapiro is allowed to put his faith at the center of his campaign. But when Doug Mastriano does it, it's dangerous. And he says this is what Jewish privilege looks like. And he has a screenshot here of Politico magazine. And the title is Josh Shapiro puts his faith at the center of campaign against Mastriano. And then the subtitle reads, devoutly Jewish, he wants to persuade voters that his opponent's Christian nationalism doesn't represent the values of this state. So, in other words, we see here that Josh Shapiro represents the world. And then the question is raised, so why can't Christians represent the world? And I told Torba, and I continue to pray for this brother, and I continue to encourage him to read the Bible, because Jesus said in Matthew 26, 52, then said Jesus unto him, put up again, Again, thy sword into his place, for all they that take the sword shall perish with the sword. You cannot fight nationalism, earthly carnal nationalism, Jewish or not, with earthly carnal nationalism and call it Christian nationalism. We know that 1 John 2.15 says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Knowing 1 Peter 2.9, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. And by the way, my brother, our faith is placed in the center of Christ, not the center of a political campaign. Now you know why born-again Christians were caught in the middle of the crossfire between Jewish nationalism and Nazi Christian nationalism during World War II. It's a war of nationalisms. We're, we're called to a spiritual fight with our base camp in the kingdom of God, this holy nation. He then shares a tweet with a video uh, with an interview with him and some other man that where this man was opens up and says that his Christian nationalist treaties book was perfect, perfect. And I replied, I saw that. I said, nice, now we're going into blasphemy for only Christ and his word is perfect. And the only perfect perfection that you're going to find on this earth is when our king arrives 
at his second coming. And then when he institutes the new earth and the new Jerusalem, then we will see perfection during this new earth in Jerusalem. There will be no more polluted waters that can make us sick, nor poisonous vegetation or trees that can kill the nations. The elect within those nations. And it's during this time that the curse will be past tense. Revelation 22, 1 through 3. And he showed me a pure river of, of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and out of the Lamb. In the midst of the street of it and on the either side of the river was there the tree of life, which bare twelve manner of fruits and yielded her fruit every month. And the leaves of the trees were for the healing of the nations, and there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and the Lamb shall be in it, and his servant shall serve him. And it's not until the word of God convicts the hearts of men and men respond to this conviction with faithfulness, a faith that includes repentance, that they are able to overcome their enemies through God and through God alone. This is why we are prevented from these victories. Isaiah 31.3 says, Now the Egyptians are men and not God, and their horses flesh and not spirit. When the Lord shall stretch out his hand, both he that helpeth shall fall, and he that is hoping shall fall down, and they shall all fail together. And this is why we read further, as men fail to reach out to God for this help. In Psalm 27, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. It's with this remembrance of the name of the Lord that we find obedience to his commandments. Revelation twenty-two fourteen. Blessed are they that do his commandments, that they may have right to the tree of life and may enter in through the gates into the city. Now we know that we're not saved by works or even the ability to, or this false notion that we could live up to the commandments at all times. But I will tell you this, the faith that God gives us will believe, it will repent, and it will work to do his commandments. What commandments? Well, we find these in Matthew 22, 36 through 40. Master, which is the greatest or the great commandment in the law? Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is, like unto it, Thou shalt love the na- thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So when Torbub posts tweets uh, to attack men such as Josh Shapiro, Antichrist or not, and then go about to show how great his website is and and to uh, throw stones at him, I had to ask him, is this the gospel of Jesus Christ? Is this how we're supposed to win our enemies? Our heart of hearts knows the answer to this question. We know to fight with this sword is to die by this sword. We must never forget the name of the Lord, his power and his strength. And it's here that we find the water of life that sustains us. In the army, we knew the dangers of the lack of water. And we even saw those who quickly succumbed to the effects of heat injuries that were induced by the lack of water. 
also known as dehydration. And this is why the invitation to come to Christ is our continual purpose as the church of the living God, which is also known as his bride. We know where the water is. We are never thirsty in Christ. Revelation twenty-two seventeen, And the Spirit and the bride say, Come. And let him that heareth say, Come. And let him that is a thirst come. And whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. So if Josh Shapiro were to ever listen to this episode, I would say, Josh, come. Come to this water of life that is found in none other than the offspring of David, the bright and morning star, Revelation twenty-two sixteen, And I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify unto thee these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright and morning star. So my question is, are you thirsty, friend? Are you thirsty? Are you, have you found yourself in the deserts of Egypt without water? Dehydrate it. What happens when we become sick? Dehydrated. We become irritable. And we want to lash out at others. We surely do not want to love them. Isaiah 31, 1-3, Woe to them that go down to Egypt for help, and stay on horses and trust in chariots, because they are many, and in horsemen, because they are very strong. But they look not unto the Holy One of Israel, neither seek the Lord. Yet he also is wise and will bring evil and will not call back his words, but will rise against the house of the evildoers and against the help of them that work iniquity. Now the Egyptians are men and not God, and their horses flesh and not spirit. When the Lord shall stretch out his hand, both he that helpeth shall fail, or shall fall, and he that is hoping shall fall down, and they shall fail together. So here we see, obviously, that these chariots of men are no match for the chariots of God. And I keep pointing people to this fact, even those who call themselves Christians, pointing them to God to Jesus Christ in his chariots of fire. Revelation twenty-two, fifteen, For without are dogs and sorcerers and whoremongers and murderers and idolaters and whosoever loveth and maketh a lie. We see that whoremongers, which easily can be associated with porn. We see murderers that can easily be associated with hate for brothers. Yet they hate me for preaching Christ alone. And we read in 1 John 3, 15, Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. And then, of course, the whole issue with idolatry and all the lies that support its practice. None of which will enter the city gates of the new Jerusalem, the perfect city of God, which men attempt to establish themselves, their own utopias, as they quote their theological books and not quote the word of God. So the problem is never with God. The problem is always with men. Who can match the chariots of fire that flow from the throne of Almighty God. Who can replicate this? No one. 
So there's no need to hate me for pointing you to this fact. By the grace of God, I'm just trying to honor him by preaching his word in truth and in spirit and caring for the kingdom team. Psalm 68, 7, O God, when thou wentest forth before thy people, when thou didst march through the wilderness, Selah. Isaiah 66, 15, For behold, the Lord will come with fire and with his chariots like a whirlwind to render his anger with fury and his rebuke with the flames of fire. Vengeance is mine, thus saith the Lord. It's not our vengeance. The Lord will rebuke with his flames of fire soon enough. All he asks for you and I to do is be faithful. To be faithful to him, to look to him, to love him. Jeremiah 4.13, Behold, he shall come as clouds, and his chariot shall be as whirlwind. His horses are swifter than eagles. Woe unto us, for we are spoiled. We know that God is the governor of the nations. He owns all of the chariots, and he will do with them as he pleases. We know that God controls both sides of the chessboard concerning this world. There's not a piece that moves on this chessboard of humanity without his permission. Ezekiel 26, 7, For thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I will bring upon Tyrus Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, a king of kings from the north, with horses and with chariots, and with horsemen and companies and much people. It's here that we see that God raises up men, armies, kingdoms, kings, chariots, and he destroys them. He puts one up and he brings another one down. Micah 5.10, And it shall come to pass in that day, saith the Lord, that I will cut off thy horses out of the midst of thee. I will destroy thy chariots. Nahum 2.13, Behold, I am against thee, saith the Lord of hosts. I will burn her chariots in the smoke, and the sword shall devour thy young lions, and I will cut off thy prey from the earth, and the voice of thy messengers shall no more be heard. Haggai 2.22, And I will overthrow the throne of kingdoms, and I will destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the heathen. I will overthrow the chariots and those that ride in them, and the horses and their riders shall come down, every one by the sword of his brother. So then one asks, must governments and their chariots obey God? It's here that we have seen in today's episode that ultimately governments and their chariots will obey God as he, as he raises them up and he tears them down clear that God puts rulers in place as the governor of the nations for good and for evil. Why does he do this? To bless nations and to judge them. This is his lane, not ours. And this is the point, my friends, as we trust in his chariots of fire, not the chariots of men. Jeremiah 21.10, For I have set my face against this city for evil and not for good. Saith the Lord, it shall be given into the hand of the king of Babylon, and he shall burn it with fire. So our lane is clearly to speak the truth of the gospel. God frees us up of all of this mess. And what I have learned throughout my history as a leader in the army and elsewhere, as I had the responsibility to manage people, my responsibility was to keep all of the larger picture things off of them so that they could focus on their task at hand. 
That was my job as a good manager, as a good leader. That's exactly what the Lord does. The Lord takes care of the big picture so that you and I can focus on him and him alone and to preach his gospel and to love him and to love others. Our lane is to speak the truth of the gospel, regardless if it is before a king or not. This is our lane, whether the king is evil or not. And here is a hermeneutic that must not be forgotten. God is in control and Christ is king. We know that Jesus did not have to confront politics as the son of man because he put the rulers in place as the son of God. John 19, 9 through 11, and went again into the judgment hall and said unto Jesus, Whence art thou? But Jesus gave him no answer. Then saith Pilate unto him, Speakest thou not unto me? Knowest thou not that I have power to crucify thee and power to release thee? Jesus answered, Thou couldst have no power at all against me, except it were given thee from above. Wherefore, he that delivereth me unto thee hath the greater sin. In other words, he that trusted in the chariots of men hath the greater sin. We must turn to Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone once again. Otherwise, there is no hope for this country called America. Because you and I know that this country called America consists largely of the following that we read in Revelation 21.8, but the fearful and unbelieving and abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake of fire, which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. This is an antichrist nation. This is not a Christian nation. Yet the Christian nationalists want to put this nation first. They have the audacity to make Christian an adjective of nationalism. Christian adjective. Nationalism noun. That should have been the first clue. That should have been the first clue. That pointed us back to Jesus Christ who sits upon the throne with all power and dominion. Revelation 21.5 And he sat upon the throne. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write. For these words are true and faithful. It is Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone that has the power to satisfy the thirstiness of the people here on earth. Not the political idolatry, which consists of those who write new political gospels with not so new antichrist failed solutions. Revelation 21, 6, and he said unto me, it is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is the thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. Nevertheless, sometimes we must feel the hammer of God upon our heads to wake us up to the fact that it is indeed finished. It is done. We do not need to add or take away from what God has already finished. This is my prayer, if need be that this hammer would fall. Psalm 78, 34 through 35, when he slew them, then they sought him. And they returned and inquired early after God. And they remembered that God was the rock and the high God, the redeemer. And sometimes it takes 20, 30, 40 years or more before we wake up to this fact. And I pray it not be so with our brother Torba. As we exchanged uh, yesterday, he replied to one tweet. That was all. 
And that was after I told him that I was praying for him. And I said, I pray that Andrew Torba, at Smash Idols, his Twitter username, will smash his political idols and turn back to Christ. I told him that he was on a dark path that resists the sovereignty of God as he governs the nations. And Torba responded to this one, the only tweet. He says, the Holy Spirit dwells in us. God governs the nations and disciples them through us, simple as. And I replied, stop resisting the Holy Spirit with political carnality then. Stop resisting the Holy Spirit with political carnality then. Because we know that Romans 8, 9 says, but you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If so be that the spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man hath not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. So pray for our brother, Torba because I believe that he is born again. He's a born-again child of God that's currently being led to trust in the chariots of men, the chariots of this world and not the chariots of fire that flow from the throne of God. Well, I, I had way too many notes within the last few days to incorporate every single note into this message. So as a thank you to those who support this work, you can find these notes on gospel.com or andrewhorville.substack.com in a private post. Now, as always, of course, if you cannot afford a subscription, just email me and I'll give you a compliment, complimentary subscription for a period of time. All I ask, my friends, is look to Jesus Christ. Keep your eyes on him. Do not trust in the chariots of this world, but put your full trust in Christ and his chariots of fire. This is our choice. God has given us a choice to love him. And it's in this full love for him that we will find full trust in him. Psalm 80. Give ear, O shepherd of Israel, that thou leadest Joseph like a flock, that thou dwellest between the cherubim, shine forth. Before Ephraim and Benjamin and Manasseh, stir up thy strength and come and save us. Turn us again, O God, and cause thy face to shine, and we shall be saved. O Lord God of hosts, how long wilt thou be angry against the prayer of thy people? Thou feedest them with the bread of tears, and givest them tears to drink in great measure. Thou makest us a strife unto our neighbors, and our enemies laugh among themselves. Turn us again, O God of hosts, and cause thy face to shine, and we shall be saved. Thou hast brought a vine out of Egypt, thou hast cast out the heathen and planted it. Thou preparest room before it, and didst cause it to take deep root, and it filled the land. The hills were covered with the shadow of it, and the bows thereof were like the goodly cedars. She sent out her bows unto the sea, and her branches unto the river. Why hast thou then broken down her hedges, so that... All they that which pass by the way do pluck her. The boar out of the wood doth waste it, and the wild beast of the field doth devour it. Return, we beseech thee, O God of hosts, look down from heaven, and behold, and visit this vine. And the vineyard which thy right hand hath planted, and the branch that thou madest strong for thyself, it is burned with fire, it is cut down, they perish at the rebuke of thy countenance. Let thy hand be upon the man of thy right hand, upon the son of man, which thou madest strong for thyself. So will not we go back from thee, quicken us, and we will call upon thy name. Turn us again, O Lord God of hosts, cause thy face to shine, and we shall be saved. 
I pray that this episode of Gospel was a blessing to you. And if you would like to become a team member of this Christ work, simply pray. Pray that God would use this podcast mightily for his glory. Share the episodes wherever you can and support with a subscription if you're able to do so. We are in this together, Christ friends. Keep up the good fight.